What's going on, everybody? Welcome into an episode of Garbage Into Gold. Uh, it has been nearly two and a half months since our last episode of the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch. If you if you don't know us, then uh, I don't really know what to tell you. We have podcasted together for a while now, and uh, just the last couple months have been pretty busy. So, uh, Jesse... How how are you doing? I, this is, I just looked in our podcast archives, and uh, our last episode was December 9th, twenty twenty one. And the trade happened a few weeks ago, but you know we, we both had things going on in our lives that we had to take a little hiatus. You know, more than have to be back. Um, we were kind of hoping for a nice, fun post game pod of the Sixers and the Nets, and with all the excitement that came with that game. But I guess. The only good thing that happened tonight is baseball's back, so we can at least think about that while the Sixers get absolutely demolished. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how, I guess, the best way to explain it is that I couldn't have expected a more predictable yet disappointing outcome to this game. I don't even know if it's over yet. Yeah, it's... 10.01 10.01 Eastern time here. I'm going to I'm gonna check here. I mean, you and I in the third quarter were just like, yeah, we should probably start recording this before the game ends. It's, it's currently 145 left in the fourth quarter, 128 to 98 in favor of the Brooklyn Nets, who are shooting just a hair over 57% from the floor, while the Sixers are shooting barely 32% from the floor. So just not, not a great night from, from the hometown team, but here we are back ready to bask in, uh, the, I wouldn't call it misery. Like it's been mostly good until tonight. Right. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been fun having Harden with the Sixers tonight was, I I think tonight was a case of the Nets had a lot more to prove than the Sixers did. The Nets were playing a playoff game tonight, and the Sixers were playing, I don't want to say just another game, but they weren't coming out to play a playoff game. They were, you know, just kind of suiting up for another game. Um, Between the bad blood over Harden leaving Brooklyn and then the Nets also knowing the crowd was going to be really hot with Simmons in the building, I think the Nets came out kind of like – you know, kind of like an animal backed into a corner. Like they knew they had to attack. Um, and the Sixers didn't really have that same energy tonight. You know, I don't think if they meet again that the Sixers are going to shoot 27% in the first half. I don't think that the Nets are going to be as lights out as they were tonight. Um, you know, you could, I guess, I know some Sixers fans, especially the ones I was watching with, were getting a little like, upset and kind of like flashbacks of, I guess the last few playoff runs, but it it didn't, I don't put too much stock into a regular season game. We're in March. February. There's a lot of what's that? February 16th. You said we were in March. You're getting ahead of yourself. Even today's March. Is it? Oh, geez. Is it? Oh Yeah. I don't know why I haven't powered up my podcast computer in so long that the date currently says February 16th, 2022. And I just realized that I told our listeners that it is currently February 16th, 2022. (laughs) 
when it is literally not that. It's three months and one day after we recorded our last episode, so my apologies. Carry on. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is what it is. We'll, we'll, we're still getting the rust off. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, like, losing my mind about this game. And like you said, it was kind of predictable, like, with as much hype as the game has, like, of course it's going to not meet expectations. And even before the game got out of hand, I was thinking that, just thinking, like, all right, the fans will get their their jabs in on Ben, but, like, it's not going to be, like, in the middle of the game, they're going to be chanting to Ben. Mm-hmm. Like, once the game starts, it's going to kind of be nothing. Yeah, and I feel like of, I heard, a like, a few yeah. fuck Ben Simmons chants in, like, the first quarter, first, second quarter, and then uh, since then I haven't really heard much considering the beatdown that we've uh, been witnessing from then until till now yeah and it's, it's funny to me that like people are getting upset that like oh we needed to beat the Nets it's like Ben didn't do anything yeah Ben wasn't in this game like I think that's that's one of the things that's like really difficult about it is like we'll we'll see national media and be like Ben Simmons got the last laugh or whatever tomorrow and and it just becomes one of those things where it was always really just about the game because this is genuinely a matchup that we could see in the first round of the playoffs, which is somewhat scary after watching tonight's game. And, um, you know, he didn't even play and and Embiid and Harden combined to make eight total shots in the time they were on the floor, which against a team like the Nets, who now could very well be getting Kyrie Irving back for home games as well. Uh, could just be starting to hit their stride and and you even though that they've been struggling for the vast majority of the season because Durant has been hurt and Irving has been dealing with the the mandates in New York but I mean you can't you can't underestimate the the skill and talent with with Durant and Irving like it's just I mean I don't want to see that in the first round of the playoffs do you only I want to see them but I also don't think that the brand of basketball they played tonight is the brand of basketball they'll play with Ben Simmons on the floor. When Ben Simmons is back, I do not think that that's the same team we see tonight. I think they have to play a much slower pace, a much more methodical game. You know, if they want to get guys like Seth Curry involved, Patty Mills involved, it's not going to be like tonight was, I mean, do they even need Ben Simmons with the way they played tonight? No, that they that don't. makes me like sort of curious uh, if if and when Ben comes back this season because I'm still not fully convinced that he's actually going to play until I see it happen. Is I I'm very curious to see whether or not they start him because if you don't have mandates and you're playing at home as Brooklyn, like you have Kyrie, KD, and then the lineup around them, you have Curry, Drummond, and then one more guy. Is that guy Simmons? Because Durant and Irving are very ball dominant. Or do you look at Simmons to lead your second unit with the Nets bench guys, which could be beneficial for them? Um, You know, I, I don't really know. I feel like it would be, a little wild at this point in the season to see them just like start Ben Simmons in the playoffs and see how it works because it still seems like he's a couple weeks away from playing. So 
it wouldn't shock me if he just came off the bench as a, a defensive stopper and a guy who pushes the pace, but I just really don't know what to expect at this time. And Drummond even looked like he was doing a pretty good job against Embiid this year. And you could, I mean, being on the same team as the guy probably benefited him in, in the long run this season. I mean, he still put three fouls on him in 10 minutes. Like, I'm not, I don't think Andre Drummond's doing anything against Joel Embiid. So I think the intensity level was just way higher for the Nets and the Sixers tonight. And part of that's everybody building up the Ben Simmons stuff, and part of that is Harden forcing his way out of Brooklyn. But now that smoke's cleared. Like, I don't, you know, this was this was a game that one team clearly circled on their schedule. And I guess we thought the Sixers were going to circle it, but with Ben not playing, I guess they just never did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's... Listen, you could just tell it was... For one team, it was their NBA Finals. And I think that's where the Sixers got ran off the floor. I mean, there's no doubt that that's where the better team tonight. But I'm not convinced that's what happens in a seven-game series. It's funny that the the game that the Sixers pretty much get blown out with is Tobias Harris's best game from beyond. And as long as I can remember, you know, he, he went four from five, four for five from beyond five for 10 overall, you know, there was a shot towards the end of the shot clock. I think at the first half or earlier in the third quarter where it was like the timer was going down and he just hurled up a three and it went in. It's just like, that's what I'd like to see from Tobias Harris. But over the past couple of weeks, we certainly, could be better getting more from uh, a guy that could uh, very likely not be on the team next year. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping we were going to get like Clippers Tobias now with him going back to being the number three option, but he's definitely had the hardest time. Sorry, he's definitely had the hardest time getting. Uh, acclimated with Harden joining and the way the team is playing now. He's kind of back to being, you know, a shoot-first guy, and that's not really the game he likes to play. But he's, percentage-wise, he's a good enough shooter to play that game. He just doesn't feel comfortable doing that. So hopefully, nights like tonight where he does just let it rip because we're down so much and we need to make threes kind of reminds him that he can do that, and maybe it gives him the confidence when he gets a pass and an open look from three to not hesitate like we, you know, me and you have said a lot how he does that. So maybe now he can just, you know, feel free to just let it fly, which is what the team really needs. You know, when you have, when you have like a Matisse Thibault in the starting lineup, and I even thought the shots Matisse put up tonight looked good as far as like form and everything. They just didn't fall for him. But he's still not a prolific three-point shooter. And he's a guy that's usually left open. So, like, when Tobias is getting these looks and things like that, he needs to take them because, you know, especially with Seth Curry not on the team anymore, um, you know, if Harden's not on the floor, things like that, they need to get shooting from somewhere else. And they said it tonight, George Niang has the most made threes on the Sixers this season, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, Seth Curry in his return to Philadelphia in 27 minutes goes 10 of 14 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3 for 24 points. Andre Drummond finishes with 7 points, 7 rebounds, 2 of 4 from the field in 21 minutes. 
Uh, final score, 129-100. Kevin Durant, 25 points to lead the Nets. Kyrie with 22. Uh, they shoot 45% from beyond the arc, 50 per, 56% overall. While the Sixers, uh, led by Joel Embiid, 27 points, only made five shots. Tyrese Maxey, an off night for him uh, after a string of game where he, he's been just tremendous. Only shoots two for seven, uh, four total points, and James Harden, probably his worst game in uh, his l- young Sixers career. Three of 17 from the floor for 11 points, only five assists. And uh, then you have Tobias Harris with 16, and then Harden with 11, Yang with 10, DeAndre Jordan with 10. Sixers shoot 32.3% from uh, the floor, and they shoot 38.9% from beyond the arc. So again, just one of those games where I feel like every time we have one of these games that it's just like, oh yeah, like this one has a lot of drama for whatever reason. The Sixers always come out and, and shit the bed, and it's just like... It sucks that it always ends up this way, but it's just kind of par for the course. And I just find it like pretty comical that we see the Sixers get blown out by this much on on a night where Tobias Harris is like lights out from through beyond the rain, beyond the arc. Like it's just wild. It's wild how things work out. Yeah. Oh, it's just a weird game. Like there's a lot for the Sixers to learn from this game, but it's not a game that I think you have to like sit there and dwell on. Yeah. I I don't have, I don't have any more red flags going up after the game than I did before. I think you got to see some different looks defensively that you haven't seen yet with this new lineup. Um, And that's expected to come anytime you add a player to your team. So I think now you get those on film, you kind of work around them and try to see how you can navigate that. But I don't think this is – like I don't think the Sixers season ended tonight. And that's how some people seem to be talking or seem to feel. Like it's a crushing loss, but I don't think it's one that you just say – you know, you don't ignore it, but you don't – you can get better from this and like you can wake up tomorrow and play great basketball again. There's a lot of things that happened tonight such as, you know – Harden and Embiid combining for eight made field goals, that'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, no matter how bad they play in future games, that's like a anomaly. Um, you know, the Nets shooting 60% from three, like that's an anomaly. You know, a lot of things went wrong and a lot of things went right for Brooklyn that, again, over the course of a seven-game series or even just one more game probably don't play out that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, I think again we're looking at a at a uh, at a matchup that really could could be one that we see in the first round because the Nets, I think, right now after this game, are still maybe in the in the seventh seed. Um, let me take a look. Uh, Sixers in third. And the Nets are in eighth currently. So, I mean, very, very possible that we could see these guys in the first round, not necessarily a team I'd love to see in the first round. I know you got to see difficult teams and everything like that, but uh, seeing KD, Kyrie, and and even Ben. I mean, we've talked about we've talked about it a lot over the last like four plus years. We all know the defender he is. I mean, we expect him when he hits the floor to to 
retain that defensive ability. So when you have a Ben Simmons guarding uh, James Harden, and then you have Kyrie Irving, or or you have Kevin Durant, you know, kind of being able to to guard anybody, and he's a he's a, I feel like Durant is a vastly underrated defender. Um, so you just have to find ways to exploit that, and you hope Doc Rivers is able to do so. But everything that we've seen of Doc Rivers so far doesn't really make me believe that there are going to be adjustments made to do so. I feel like through the first two or few games of the Harden and Beat era, we saw a lot of pick and roll. And I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple games, I feel like we just haven't seen that much at all. I feel like the Sixers have reverted back to the basketball they did before the Harden trade with Harden here now, uh, rather than adopting that style of picking pick and rolls, because I feel like Embiid and and uh, Harden just have not been have not been doing that as often as they were in the first few games, and maybe that's just like a thing where the league has adjusted very quickly. But uh, it seemed like relatively unstoppable to where they could pass out to the shooters and the shooters could could hit shots, but I, I haven't seen it as much as I did, uh, you know, against the T-Wolves and, and the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, even tonight, like, with how bad that first half went, they came out in the third and did not change anything. And that that is one concern with Doc. I'm still not sold on Doc, especially after last year. Like, I think that guy has such a big ego, and he kind of thinks his own shit don't stink that he's never going to look at his offense and change something because he's going to think someone didn't execute. You know, it's never going to be something he did wrong. Um, and I, that's the one thing I do worry about. But I think at least what we've learned from Harden so far is Harden's not afraid to call his own shots and kind of do his own coaching and things like that. So, you know, maybe we get to a point where Harden just throws the playbook out and tells Embiid, roll, I'll hit you, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is one, I think that's a fair point with Doc, because I did not see any change in the offense in the third quarter. They fired more threes off, but it, there was still little movement. Um, nobody seemed to be sure about what the plan was. You know, and that'll happen when you're down 30 or 40 and you're kind of knocked back on your heels. But you would have liked to have seen a little more of a response out of the team. I don't think you really got that tonight. I mean, it became one of those one of those things where um, I feel like I've noticed the last few games where the Sixers have really started off slowly and they've been able to rebound. I mean, honestly, behind Tyrese Maxey, I feel like in the third and fourth quarters over the last couple games, when they've been down, he's been the guy that has brought them back, and he was not able to do that. So um, I feel like they were trying to get Embiid the ball like very early, but I feel... I also feel like it's very important that they need to get Maxi and Harden and the role players involved early as well, because I feel like Embiid can always just kind of find his rhythm, but they can't really necessarily um, rely on Tobias or Maxi to to just be able to 
you know, okay, Embiid's on the bench, like time for you to step it up and make shots immediately. I think they need to kind of spread it around a little bit more early. I think they were looking to just dump to Embiid and hope Embiid was just like having a 50, 55 point performance tonight because of the circumstances. And they were hoping he'd carry them, but you know, none of the other, none of the other guys really stepped up to, to surround his effort tonight. And I know that he didn't he only hit five shots. At the same time, you know, he went to the line a lot, but the other guys just weren't weren't doing enough. And and from what I saw, the the Nets were playing like very very good defense, and the Sixers were unable to adjust to that defense. Harden was being double teamed, couldn't do much. You know, Embiid was having trouble getting shots up. He was being pushed into just making specifically jump shots because, again, Andre Drummond not you know a Hall of Fame center by any means but i mean he's he's a big body and so you know putting Embiid into specifically a jump shooter is is something that you want to do as an opposing team because you know how dominant he is in the post uh but tonight just wasn't joel's night from uh the mid-range or really much of anywhere other the other than the free throw line so I don't. I don't know if we need to belabor this much more. It was just again one of those situations where I wish that we could have a dramatic game with dramatic headlines going into it and come out to uh, come out of it with a dramatic victory. And I feel like tonight was just par for the course for what we're used to. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's never you never really get to like celebrate as a Sixers fan. You have your little honeymoon phases here and there, like the. You got Jimmy Butler. There was a couple buzzer beaters. You felt like you were on cloud nine. You got Harden. He plays great his first few games. You know, um, you can even say there was a honeymoon with guys like Seth Curry or J.J. Redick. And, you know, at some point, the sky always comes crashing down. Everything comes back to reality for the Sixers. Um, so hopefully this just serves as a wake-up call. Like I said, I think there's, there's things from this game the Sixers need to apply to make sure they don't happen again. But there's also some things that, you know, just ridiculous shooting nights. Sometimes teams get hot. Sometimes you go cold. I think that was part of tonight. I don't think that was the entire story. I think there's things the Sixers did that they need to improve. But like I said, you're never going to have another game where Embiid and Harden combine for eight made field goals. And you're not going to have too many games where the Nets shoot over 60% from the field. Like, there's just some things are just, you know, it's like it was their night. You kind of have to say it like that. Um, But the things as far as double-teaming Harden, Kenny Smith had a really good presentation at halftime saying how they managed to put bodies on Harden as soon as he crossed the half-court line, um, not giving him the space he needs to kind of create his own shots. And I think that was something the Sixers weren't ready for. There was one point, I think one of the plays you were talking about, when Harden got doubled um, and he's looking to pass out of it and Shake Milton's standing about 10 feet away, but the way he's angled, Harden can't make that pass. Now Milton could have easily floated down to the corner, gave Harden an outlet to pass the ball to him so he can get out of the double and they could have reset. Milton just stood there and let Harden get doubled almost out of bounds. And Harden luckily threw it in, and then Toby threw up that three that barely beat the buzzer. But it's little things like that where, you know, 
I don't know if the system's so rigid that no one knows how to think for themselves, but it's little things like that that just seem like simple IQ plays that, you know, I feel like I learned that playing like, like intramural basketball mm-hmm. that you or any sport really like you want to get open so that if you want to receive the pass there's a lane for them to pass it to you yeah and for shake to be standing at like such an like harden was turned facing the baseline shakes on the elbow looking for the pass like harden can't physically make that pass right and he's doubled so he can't dribble out he can't move so Shake needs to float down, give Harden an outlet. Harden can get it to him. Harden can break out of the double team, go back to the top of the key or something, reset the whole play, or at least get a better look. Um, and instead they just kind of watched him be put on an island. You know, and it's just little things like that. I don't know if that's a Shake thing or if that's a team thing. But it's those are the type of mistakes you can't make. Like it's just gotta you gotta be a little more heads up. And I feel like there's definitely moments where the team's lacking, just lacking some IQ. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I look at the Nets and I feel like during this podcast, I've complimented the Nets a lot more than I have complimented the Sixers, though they've been on a great run in the last uh, handful of games. And I guess it's, it becomes one of those things where you have Kyrie and Kevin Durant and then you have role players. I feel like their role players really were on their game tonight and, and ours just weren't. And Niang had a Niang game, but really no one else on the Sixers bench had a performance that was worth you know talking about. And uh, I think tonight you see why the Sixers miss Seth Curry because you don't have a uh, you know reliable three-point shooter in, in the in the starting lineup aside from James Harden who was off tonight to be able to fire it up. And I feel like it's on Doc Rivers to be able to know how to cover Seth Curry because Seth Curry went off for 24 points, and I understand that he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. But the guy's been on the Sixers for the last couple of years, and he was a big part of their team up until the trade deadline. And I'm just kind of surprised that there was no, no adjustment made to, to cover him because we know, we know his weaknesses and we know his strengths. And I guess I was surprised at how easily Tyrese Maxey bit on a lot of his fakes. And everything like it just seemed like a lot of stupid mistakes added up tonight, and it seemed just generally that the Sixers were kind of jumpy, and that was really it. They they couldn't live up to it, and and you know Durant lived up to Durant, and and you see why these guys are as good as they are, even though they're the eighth seed. Like it's just is what it is at this point. Yeah, I mean, they got their ass kicked, and now they can lick their wounds and come back better from it. Yeah, it's tough stress for the Sixers coming up, but uh, I know we haven't done this podcast in, uh, it's not February, it is March. Last episode was December 9th, so so we're three months removed from our last episode, and, and a lot has happened since then. And Jesse, you've been somebody who has been uh, talking about James Harden on the Sixers, I feel like for the better part of the last two seasons, like how perfect a fit he'd be, everything like that, I've been like a very, you know, 
he wouldn't fit with Ben, which obviously doesn't matter now. You know, he's, you know, needs the ball all the time. Would he fit with Embiid? You know, how would it work? Yada, yada, yada. And now we're getting to see it. So I'm just, you know, you and I have, have texted back and forth over the last three months, obviously. But I'm just generally curious about how you uh you know found out about the trade obviously twitter and, and what your reaction was and i guess like what uh what do you think now that they have hardened is their playoff ceiling to what you believe it was before um i found out i was actually off work that day and i was sitting in the living room um on deadline day and all of a sudden you know i saw the tweet it's happened i'm literally like dancing in my living room but it was that kind of dancing where it was like i didn't even know i was dancing like i was like texting people uh, probably like sending you the, t- the tweet and texting someone else and another person and my knees are just bouncing up and down because i was so excited like and I, if you know me personally i'm not a very excitable person um so for me to actually like <laughs> my my primal response was to start moving and dancing says i think a lot about how i feel about james harden becoming a sixer um i think the first few games he's had here minus tonight have shown that he's an incredible fit um it's really been like instant chemistry tyrese maxis and we immediately hit a new level because of not only harden's influence but it's also his teachings like you can tell there's elements of maxi's game that he was not doing before harden got here and hardens encouraged him to do um he has not taken away from joel Embiid's mvp season and he's made it clear coming in he wants to compliment it i think the biggest thing i've noticed with harden that even me he's been my favorite player in the league for years but with that being said, he's never been with a supporting cast quite like this, where he's had an MVP. He's been the MVP. He hasn't had the MVP candidate next to him. Um, watching him come in and play as unselfishly as he has, while also still finding ways to get his without taking away from others, that's been the biggest thing for me. Where, and I said that to someone, if you wanted Ben Simmons to get you 10 assists, you probably had to put it with Ben Simmons scoring 12 points. Harden gets you 14 assists, puts up 26, 27 of his own, you know, and it, and it doesn't feel like he's forcing the game where you look at a Russell Westbrook, especially when he has his triple double nights, he is pushing for those stats. He is, you know, taking rebounds from teammates to get his rebound total up. Where Harden isn't doing that. Harden just happens to field a rebound. He's in the right position for it. Um, his assists don't feel like he's pushing the envelope. He's just making smart plays with the basketball. He really increases the efficiency of the entire offense when he's on his game. In a way that, and I mean, I've I had been one of the biggest Ben Simmons supporters. I had even said when Harden was still in Houston that I wouldn't trade Simmons for Harden at that time. Watching Harden here his first few games, it's it's clear they're just two different levels of player. Yeah. I still think Ben Simmons is a great talent, but James Harden is when you put the word elite on someone, like that's when I really felt it. 
because the way he's able to, you can tell he's playing a different game than everybody else. The the decisions he makes, his playmaking ability, his scoring ability, um, and the most impressive thing's been his leadership so far, where that wasn't really talked about. He's always really been painted as a kind of an apathetic character um, or a troublesome teammate, and he's been the furthest thing from it, at least here in the early stages in Philadelphia. But he's embraced everyone. He's been wanting to teach. He's been wanting to kind of shoulder the burden. Um, and I think you talk about the ceiling. Like I don't see if you don't win a ring, I think it's a bust. I think there's nobody. If you get to the NBA Finals and you take on say the Suns, I think the Sixers should be able to beat the Suns with this lineup they have, which is a big statement. Yeah. But just thinking of how that matches up, I mean, Aton is a very underrated big man. Um, but I still think Embiid wins that battle. I think Harden, I mean, Harden and Chris Paul would be a lot of fun, but I'd like to give it to Harden. If you're getting the secondary scoring from Maxi and Harris, you know, like Maxi, Harden, and Embiid combined for over 80 points in like each of the first three games. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. Um, so if that's what this team is, if that's the type of performance we're going to be getting nightly, then there's no reason they can't go all the way. Yeah. I, uh, I found out about the trade. I was flying back to Atlanta from Philadelphia, uh, closing on our house in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I had seen, you know, I was following along with the trade deadline. Of course I, I booked the flight literally for, the hour that the trade deadline was going to expire. So I think the trade deadline expired at four. And I think my flight was at like three twenty-six. Uh And literally when I stepped onto the plane is when I opened Twitter and saw that they had traded for Harden and I couldn't really watch many much reaction. Uh, I tried to get ESPN on the Delta flight, but their uh, in-flight TVs were a little flickery throughout it, but uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I, I wasn't able to really um, express my joy on the plane, which was something. You know, I was hoping people around me would have noticed like what I was watching on ESPN, and they'd talk to me about it, but they didn't. Uh, but it's just very surreal. You know, early in our like preseason podcast, you and I talked about when we think this would be resolved or when he think it would be traded. And I think one of us said around December, and I think the other said by the trade deadline. I remember who said what, but um, I think both of us were under the impression that Ben would eventually show up so, so he wouldn't keep losing money. But, I mean, here here we are. And I, I think with regard to playoff ceilings, I mean, if, if people are listening to this show and they're familiar with my mindset, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist and I feel like I've been given reasons to be pessimistic after what we've been through with, with Ben, with Markel, with Zaire Smith, with Jaleel Okafor, you know, with, with all of that, and, you know, with Brian Colangelo and the burners, all this shit we've been through, you know, until I see something happen, it's going to be hard for me to fully believe so I think the ceiling for a team like this, just because I can't trust the role players, is the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think that they can 
I don't think I can believe that they can make a finals until the role players step up because we're talking about a team that, you know, could have potentially gone to the finals a few years ago, but but Greg Monroe was getting minutes for them against the Raptors. Like it's just these situations where you have to deal with role players for 10 to 15 minutes a night. And if they don't step up and, and do their job for that short amount of time, like your starters are going to get tired and, and that's going to really show over, over a series where you, you could potentially be playing five, six, seven games. So I guess that's my main concern. I, I hope the Sixers get an opportunity in the first round to play a team that they can clearly beat because I feel like gaining that momentum could be good for them with this new look going into the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, for me, uh, you know, seeing Tyrese Maxey play basketball is an absolute joy. I love what I've seen from Harden and Embiid for the most part. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the ceiling is the Eastern Conference Finals or where I, th- not the ceiling, I think their ceiling is the NBA Finals. But I feel like the Eastern Conference Finals is where they will end up, in my opinion. I don't think that's unreasonable. I just... When you go make that move for Harden, like that's when, uh, you know, the excitement for the year kind of started back for me. I was very much in a place where, you know, the Sixers were good. They weren't really a real contender in my view, even though they were having such a great year from Embiid. Um, I had said to people I know often that, you know, they can't, I didn't think they could waste Embiid's having such a good year, it'd be a shame to see them waste it, was essentially the sentiment. So when they go and get Harden, then it was, all right, we're all in. We're going for it. And now you have to, you know, I think tonight's the first time anyone's had a doubt. But that'll happen. I still, you know, I think there's too much talent there for them to not go far. Um and now you just need the coaching staff to kind of tinker and tweak and get the things that went wrong tonight fixed, kind of make sure that team gets back on track because there's too much talent, at least in that starting five, to not go as far as you're saying. There's still time. Hopefully they can add someone else, maybe a, uh, a Gary Harris becomes a buyout candidate or something like that. You can add him to the fold. But there's still... I, I still think there's so much talent on this team that they need to make. Well, I'm a pretty real sure push. I'm pretty sure they would have been need to needed to be waived by now to be on a playoff roster anyway. Well, yeah, ruined my dreams. Oh well, you know it's what I'm here for. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, I don't really think there's anything else. I know tonight was like a not great Tyrese Maxey game, but I. Honestly, like Joel Embiid has passed Allen Iverson for me as my favorite Sixer of all time. You know, I only started watching back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So Iverson was really the first Sixer I fell in love with. Um, But being able to follow Joel Embiid along his career uh, has been so awesome to see him develop into an MVP caliber caliber player. Uh, you know, after what we've been through with Ben Simmons and everything, like seeing Tyrese Maxey improve as much as he has in one season is just 
unbelievable to me. And I really hope that he's a sixer for life. You know, maybe this, this season is an outlier. I sure hope it's not, but you know, seeing the work he puts in his mindset, his attitude, and you know, just his infectious personality. Like I just don't see how this kid is ever going to slow down. And I just love watching him play basketball tonight. Wasn't great, but you know, he over the, the vast majority of the last like few months, he's been absolutely just thrilling to watch and he's so fast and it's just nice after all of this shit that we've been through with so many of the guys that were drafted that we finally have a guy like him that's so fun to root for. Yeah. yeah um, I said to someone uh, the other day, I was like, how the hell did they let him fall to 21? I remember our draft reaction pod. You asked me about him. I said, I don't have anything for him because he wasn't supposed to go this late. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do <laughs> remember know? that. It's like it was it was a miracle that they landed him. It was you know, all the times we fouled with Nerlens and Carter Williams and Ja, you know, for for that pick to work out the way it has is pretty just wild. Just a great feeling. Just yeah. a great feeling. Yeah, I feel like the first reaction I had to him was like looking at his shooting stats and being like, Oh great, the Sixers like drafted another guy that can drive to the basket but can't actually shoot, but I mean, he's he's shooting probably what like sixty percent from three over the last like few weeks. Like it's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's getting late here. It's about twenty of eleven. But um, Jesse, it's been nice to to get back on the pod waves with you. Appreciate our listeners dealing with our long, hopefully our longest hiatus. I don't want to go three months between our next ones. We're really, really, really going to try to do bi-weekly episodes, whether it's on a game night or on an off day. Um, you, we'll see. But uh, it's good to be back, Jesse, and um, we'll talk to you next time. Sound good? Sounds good. Go Sixers. <laughs>